And I, I think that part of me was just, you know, I, I stopped caring what other people would think. Because at the end of the day, what their vision of success wasn't my vision and what their values are, are not my values. And it really did take a lot of just being comfortable in who I am and setting aside that pride and saying, you know what, like, it doesn't matter that I don't have that title anymore because in this season of my life, my best title, my biggest title is mom. And, uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of internal reflection that has to happen to get yourself prepared to take that step back because that's what it felt like, right? It feels like I've worked all of these years. I've worked, put in all these hours, countless days to step back when really I was just stepping into my purpose. Welcome to the Confidence Council Podcast. This show is designed for high-achieving women who, despite having a great life, just know that they're destined for more. Whether you aren't sure what that next level is, or you have an idea, but the vision feels out of reach, then this podcast is for you. My name is Monica Burkoff. I'm a trial lawyer, a mom, and a wife, and I'm here because I know from my own experience that feeling stuck or unfulfilled does not have to be your reality. With a positive mindset and the right counsel, you too can create the life of your dreams. My hope and intention for this podcast is that you walk away feeling confident, motivated, and inspired to embrace your authentic self and to take bold action toward your dream life. Are you ready to get started? All rise. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Confidence Council podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. You know, this podcast is all about leveling up, growing, and evolving as humans, whether that be in your business, in life, in your relationship, at work, or as mothers. And I hope you're enjoying the show so far and are enjoying these powerful conversations with these incredible women. So today's conversation has a lot of golden nuggets and wisdom that I think most of you, especially the moms out there, will find a lot of value in. During today's conversation with Nikki Sisersky, we have a real and honest talk about what it means to be someone's mom, untethering your identity from your role at work, the importance of surrounding yourself with supportive women, how to stay present with your children, limiting beliefs about motherhood, marriage, and maintaining a sense of self along the way. This episode is jam-packed with goodness. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom like today's guest or a working mom like me, I think you'll get a lot of value from this one. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nikki. Enjoy. Today I am joined by Nikki Sisersky, and we're going to be talking all things motherhood and what it means to kind of lose yourself along the way in motherhood and rediscovering that woman on the other side of becoming someone's mom. So Nikki, why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to the listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of the journey that's led you to this point. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to share my story and just the the joy I have found in motherhood. So I have four children. They are almost 15, 12, 2, and 1. Oh, whoa. Big gap. Yeah. Yeah. So so the older two girls are, you know, we're dealing with adolescence and teenage stuff. And then we've got the babies who are, you know, learning who they are and getting their little personalities and just discovering everything. My husband and I actually are both entrepreneurs. He has um, an HVAC business, and then I am a freelance writer, social media manager. But previously, I actually worked in healthcare for 18 years. So I, I started out as a nuclear medicine technologist, and I was in nuclear medicine for eight years before I moved into a leadership role. And then I grew from there, just continuously 
climbing the ladder, getting the next position, the next promotion. And then after reaching the level of a senior level, like regional director, and I was responsible at that time for three hospitals, 12 clinics, and about 150 employees. I had our third child and I keep saying like, he is the one that made me a softy. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go back. I, this is not who I am. I don't want this. Um, So at that point I started trying to look at, okay, what does it look like to not work? And so through his first uh, six, seven, eight, nine months of life, I started trying to just figure out what could be my next steps. Eventually, that led me to completely leaving healthcare and becoming a stay-at-home mom. And that's what I've been doing now. Yeah. Okay. So fabulous. So what year did you have your son then the third? Uh, 2021. Okay. So we're talking like pandemic hits. You get to stay, did you get to stay home for a little bit during the pandemic and like get the sense of that home life? Oh, no, because I worked oh, no. in healthcare. Okay. I worked in healthcare. So, um, you know, when essentially everybody else was, you know, being locked down, I had to be there. And at that point, I traveled. Um, the area that I covered um, was a, a roughly like an hour and 15, hour and 20 any given way is kind of what my, my uh, radius was that I covered. So I was traveling to all of my sites to make sure that they all felt supported and all of those things. But I think what the pandemic did do was make me realize how much stress I had in my role because I've never experienced, I only one other time in my career experienced that level of stress. And like I said, at that point, you know, I I assumed by 2021, we were not going to be in a pandemic anymore, but we still were. And so when I was home, for 12 weeks, I realized like, wow, like that is completely draining everything I have. I'm pouring all of myself into these people outside of my four walls. And when I come home, I have nothing left to give the people who matter most in my life. So I wasn't home for the pandemic, but being in that environment during that time and during that stress really just brought to light. And when I got the opportunity to stay home for maternity leave, I was like, oh, wow. I don't think I want to go back. Oh my God. I totally resonate. I feel like that maternity leave where it forces you to slow down, you know, and all your, your job is just to, you know, wake up with that baby and feed the baby and keep that baby alive and cuddle. And that forced slow down is like so hard to do when you're go, 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 go. You're used to go, 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 climbing the ladder, doing all the things. But it is like, for me, I totally agree. My also like spiritual, like, something clicks where I can't sustain that life anymore. I also had that moment. What do you think it was about the third versus the other two? I mean, I know there was a big age gap. What do you think the yeah. difference was between the other maternity so I, leaves? I do think it. part of it was that. Um, I, you know, I'm older now than when I, you know, I had my, my older two girls when I was in my 20s. Um, and now in my 30s, I think I just had a different appreciation for what that time meant. And, and coming to the realization that um, I can always make more money, whether it's now or it's five years from now or it's 10 years from now, I can always make more money. I can never, ever, ever get these moments back ever again. And, you know, when I, when I had the first two, I then actually, I became a stay at home or a, I'm sorry, a single mom. Um, and, uh, I had no choice. Like I had to work because I was the only provider for my family. And then my, my husband now, him and I have been married for um, almost four years and, you know, having him as a partner and a support and someone who says, I want you to stay home if that's what you want to do really enabled me to do something I never, ever thought I could do. I have always said, even with, with the older two, like, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I could never do it. I, I would be so bored. I don't know how people do that. I would hate it. And I, you know, going into it, I just really felt in my heart that this is where I was meant to be. This is, this is where I would best be using my time. I would best be pouring into the people in my life who really matter and like I said before, like not people outside of these four walls that like I'm, I'm replaced like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I left and I was replaced and I really, I mean, I, I, 
I was there for 18 years. So I, of course I've had some relationships that have continued, but that's it. I was gone and it really wasn't a big deal for Business them. Business as usual. And that was right. a part of it that when I came back and I'm expected to be the same person after that maternity leave, everyone's business as usual. But I'm like, this is not business as usual. I haven't slept. No. My nipples are sore and I miss my children. <laughs> you know? yeah. yes. And no one no one knows what you're going through and what's going on at home, you know, because it's business as usual back at the office. Right. That is hard to straddle those two worlds. Um, how did you, because I can, you know, speaking for myself and I don't know if you agree with this, but like having climbed, you know, this corporate ladder for 18 years and getting to the top and how are you able to set your ego aside, Mm. I guess, and be able to step away from a role like that. At least for me, I can honestly say, and you know, there is a little bit of shame in saying it out loud, but there was a lot of self-worth wrapped up in the role of I'm an attorney and I'm ex, you know, and, and so I'm wondering how you kind of dealt with that. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, whenever you look at success from a worldly perspective, it is all about the title and it's all about, you know, what what field are you in? And I do think that there's a lot that that lies on that title and the identity in that. Because for so many years, you know, whenever someone says, well, who, you know, who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, I am, you know, a director for a radiology department at a large healthcare organization. That was always my first identity. Yeah. And I think, you know, whenever you decide that you're going to change that and you're going to do something that is out of the norm, right? Because I, I completely set aside everything I've been working for. And I, I think that part of me was just, you know, I, I stopped caring what other people would think. Because at the end of the day, what their vision of success wasn't my vision. And what their values are, are not my values. And it really did take a lot of just being comfortable in who I am and setting aside that pride and saying, you know what, like, it doesn't matter that I don't have that title anymore because in this season of my life, my best title, my biggest title is mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think there's just a lot of internal reflection that has to happen to get yourself prepared to take that step back because that's what it felt like, right? It feels like I've worked all of these years. I've worked, put in all these hours, countless days to step back when really I was just stepping into my purpose. That's such a beautiful way to say it. Yeah. And you're not stepping back. Yeah. You're stepping into who you're supposed to be. What, tell us a little bit about the inner work that, what did that look like for you? Um, so, you know, obviously everybody's beliefs and everything are different, um, but I believe in God. So I spent a lot of time in prayer and just, um, you know, praying, you know, whenever I was on maternity leave, I kept feeling like I'm not supposed to go back to work, but I don't have a choice. Like I can't just like (laughs) on a whim decide. Um, so through that time, just praying, like, you know, just show me the next step, show me the next steps. And I did have a little baby step there where I left the the company I'd been with for 18 years into another company um, and very quickly realized that that was not a good fit either because they expected me to like travel out of state on very short notice and things like that. Um, so it was, I think that little baby step of getting out of the the place I'd been for 18 years was kind of like, okay, it's okay to, to change and to move and to be different. Um, so after just a lot of prayer and reflection and, you know, talking with my husband and all of that, I just really felt like that's where God was calling me. I just felt like, um, like I said earlier, like I can always get another job. I can always go back into healthcare. I can always go back into a different leadership role, but you know, my girls, my older girls being, you know, teens and almost a teen, you know, they need me more now emotionally than they ever did. And the babies need me more physically than, you know, what I was able to give the big kids. So I think it was just a lot of self-reflection and, and getting okay with, like I said, just taking that, that step into the purpose that I'm being called to now and knowing and trusting that God is in control of all of that. And I don't have to have it figured out because he already does. How do you introduce yourself now when 
without the title? Like, how, yeah. how are you doing that? Did it take a little bit of um, a few practice runs before you figured it uh, out? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the majority of the time it's you know I I'm uh, a wife and I am a mom and it is a wild and crazy ride and our house is chaos all of the time. That's you know the majority of of the introduction now. I, I think that there is, um, I, and I don't know what, what the right word is that I'm looking for here, but I think there's a lot of societal pressure to downplay that role of being a stay-at-home mom, where oftentimes women who stay at home introduce themselves, and if they say, oh, well, what do you do? Their response is, oh, I just stay home. I'm just a mom. Yeah, I, I hear some of my girlfriends say that, and it, it's like, no, I know. Yeah. And that, you know, and I, I've tried really hard to, to not put myself in that, lower myself to that role of I'm just a mom. Um, you know, I, I really have found a lot of joy and love for being in this role every day. Now, it is hard. It, there are days where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like this is, you know, it's hard. Being a mom is hard. Um, but then I look at, you know, the working moms and, and knowing that for so many years I did both. And I'm like, I, I don't know how, I don't know how you do it and do both. So do both well, right? Because you're always robbing one to pay the other. You know, whenever I was working full time, I was spending all of my emotional energy on all of the issues and problems and all of the things I had to solve at work that by the time I got home, my family was getting my leftovers. Mm. And, you know, when you look at your priorities, like your most important priority should never get the leftovers. They should always get your firsts. Yeah. And I, I, I try to be very intentional about that because I am also a working mom. And so mm-hmm. Before work, I have that hour and a half to get them ready and, you know, feed them breakfast. There's no phone. There's no nothing. It's just me and them. And I try to be – I don't try to be – I am as present as I can be with them, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the nanny comes and I go into the office or I go, um, you know, hide in the house to start working. And during lunch, like, you know, fortunately on the days that I'm at home, I could come and like give the little one a kiss and stuff. But for the most part, I'm kind of locked in there. But once that clock rolls around and it's the end of the day, like I am full on mom mode. And I think the best way for me has been to like really lay some strong boundaries between like, I'm not letting work bleed in to family time. Like when I'm at home, I'm a good ass mom because I am on. Like I I leave all the drama. I I don't check my email. I can check it once they're down, but I'm not checking it while they're awake because then the few times that I've slipped into checking my email or whatever while they're around – A, they're probably like, what is she on her phone for? You know, what is she looking at? They don't know what I'm looking at. And so I'm showing them like I need entertainment on the phone. But B, like I get emotionally, mentally not present anymore. And I'm spiraling about something that's due tomorrow instead of just being in the moment at the park with them. And it's the moment is ruined. And you can't take that time back like you said. So it's like the trick is presence, just being as present as possible. So – an issue that I've heard a lot of stay-at-home moms struggle with, and tell me if you agree, is because I have only three hours of presence, really. That and I, it, because I, it's so, it's in such a small amount. I know that I have to like get the most out of it, right? How do you maintain that presence when you're home all day? You know what I mean? Because you could be half available mentally the whole time. You're with your kids all day, but are you present with the kids? How do right. you kind of strike that balance? And and I I agree. I do think that that is a hard balance when you're here because you are on. <laughs> you know, it's not just those few hours. It is that you're on. You know, the majority of the time. And so I personally feel like having I I'm 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 very much a structure person. Uh, you know, schedule routines like all of that. I really I've always really thrived on that. So I I think there's still a lot of value in that in being home where, you know, I can allow myself time where I encourage them to have independent play so that I can kind of 
disconnect a little bit because I do have the the opportunity to be with them and be present and, you know, be playing trucks and being in, in the dirt. Now I, my son likes to dig for worms. That is not my jam. Order <laughs> girls help him dig for worms when they're home. But we still, we play in the dirt. We play with rocks. We play with trucks. We play with dinos. We play with whatever. And so in those moments when it, it, you know, he wants my attention, I mean, my, my youngest daughter um, is only one. So she does say mama, but like, there's not a lot of context behind her. It's just mama and the noises. So we kind of just do whatever Nash wants. Um, so I think that whenever we're doing those things that he is engaging me with, that's when I really make sure that I'm present. And then, like I said, I, I try to encourage independent play because I am here with them all the time. They need to learn how to be okay without me. Um, so in those times, and then nap time helps me, you know, that's where I can disconnect and not have to feel like I'm on. And then, you know, obviously then the balance and trade-off when my husband gets home, not just, oh, you're home, here are the kids, good luck, Mm -hmm. but, you know, interacting then as a family and, you know, letting him be more present while I can, you know, get dinner ready or whatever. But for me, it's just like that structure and those, um, you know, kind of schedules and routines and things like that. And we do really fun things. So, you know, like on Fridays, we really love to do like craft party Friday. So every week I like pick a book and okay, this is the book we're going to read this week. And then I kind of plan a craft around it and a snack around that book. And then we always like have that focus time to do those things on Friday mornings before, you know, lunch and everything like that. So because I make certain times super, super intentional on being present and, and you living all that intentionally, then I can kind of navigate and, and disconnect and get some other things done around the house that need to be done while they're doing independent play and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good tip, the independent play. I feel like your life changes the moment you can leave your kids in another room <laughs> unattended. Like my yes. son is 15 months. Actually today, he just turned 15 months and he's almost there. Like he will still pull like the toy fridge on top of his body. Um, but for the most part, I can step into the kitchen and know he won't die, you know, and that yeah. is, that's great. Yes. Um, during that nap time or during that downtime, how do you take care of you? What do you do during that time for like self? Yeah. So, so part of my, my routine, I'm like a super early bird. So I usually wake up at four 30 and that's when I really focus on my self care. So I get up at four 30 and that's when I, um, do, you know, Bible time and devotions and I do my journaling and then I work out. It's super important to me to, to be physically active. I once upon a time was a power lifter and competed in powerlifting. No um, kidding. So while, yeah. So while I don't still compete, I still typically work out seven days a week. I usually lift four days and then I walk three days. And so I usually spend that time making sure that I get that. And then I do, you know, my work. Um, Like I said, I do some social media management and freelance writing. So I kind of just fit that in wherever it works. And if I want to work, I work. And if I don't, I don't. And that's like the beauty of, of, you know, being able to still challenge my mind and do, do stuff for me, but have it be super flexible that I can, you know, kind of wax and wane it where it needs to be. Um, so that's what I kind of do in the morning to take care of me. And then usually my afternoon hours really are focused on um, putting work in, putting in the hours I need. I, I One of the things I do is I interview dozens of entrepreneurs and then write stories and articles for a large client that I freelance for. So I schedule, you know, nobody wants to have an interview at five o'clock in the morning for whatever reason, yeah, not everybody's an early bird like me. So I do a lot of that in the afternoon. So most of the afternoon hours aren't necessarily used for self-care. That's usually my morning time. And then, you know, after the babies go to bed, that's you know, typically when my husband and I have the most time to kind of connect and, you know, watch a stupid show or whatever so that we both can just like not not have to be super on. He's a night owl, so that kind of is a little bit counterproductive sometimes, but that's usually when we then have our, our time together. Did you ever have to deal with like resentment toward your husband about like, oh, I just had the hardest day and you just said, you know, I've seen like those different things going on Instagram or like the husband's on the toilet for 45 minutes, you know, or, or, or the husband, you're like putting out fires and kids are screaming and he's like in traffic listening to like a fun song or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you ever struggle with that kind of resentment? And um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I don't know that I would necessarily 
categorize it as resentment, but there are sometimes, I'll call them frustrations. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes where, you know, he, I, I feel like because he's not here, he doesn't always understand that he has the luxury of going to the bathroom uninterrupted or he has the luxury of, uh, you know, coming home and immediately just going up and getting a shower and, you know, whatever, however long it takes. Like, I, I think sometimes it's just there there are blinders to that where, you know, he's not seeing all of the things. I will say, however, my husband is very good. Um, he checks in, you know, because he is an entrepreneur, so his schedule is super flexible as well. So he checks in throughout the day. And like, if it's a really rough day, he'll just come home and give me a break or he'll you know once he gets home if I'm like he'll you know he immediately walks in he knows me better than I know myself sometimes he's like what's wrong well it's been a really rough day both the babies were fussing the big kids were fighting or whatever and so he's usually pretty good about like you know why don't you let me do bath time and stuff tonight so that you can just you know have some time Mm -hmm. um so I feel like we we're a good balance in that way but there are still those frustrations of you know, he's not here all the time. So he doesn't know some of the things that I have to deal with and the luxury of leaving the house, even if it is for work. Yeah. I don't get that anymore. Um, And so I think there's just, there's some frustrations with that sometimes, because like I said, I think sometimes there are blinders on at the same time. It's easy for me to also forget the stress of what it's like being gone all day long and only seeing the kids for a short window. So I yeah. think, you know, it's, it's a real balance just back and forth and supporting each other in whatever ways we can so that we both feel fulfilled in ourselves personally and fulfilled in ourselves as a married couple and fulfilled in ourselves as parents. Yeah. That's, it sounds like you've kind of hit the, perfect balance with that as well. So that's great. Have you found yourself in like any of those like mom groups or mom circles or made any mom friends that are also stay-at-home moms? And if so, have you heard, because I feel like I'm, and I, and I am not trying to offend anybody here, but I feel like there's like a bit of trauma bonding around motherhood in the sense that like, oh, your kid doesn't sleep. Oh my God, my kid doesn't sleep either. And then we're just like bonding over not sleeping or my husband's a dick or da, da, da. You know, it's just like stuff like that. It's not productive, but it's just like you want to be seen and vent and heard. But I feel like a lot of momming is centered around trauma bonding. Do you have any thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Um. So I, I, I think I, I'm very fortunate in that a lot of the stay-at-home moms that I am friends with, their kids are all older. So they're like the the women that I go to for wisdom of like, you know, hey, like, did you ever experience this with your kids? And, and a lot of them have big families. So they, you know, I, I think there's, you know, obviously also a different of, difference of being a stay-at-home mom of one versus four. Um, so oftentimes I, I think that I go to my stay-at-home mom friends as um, encouragement of, like, yeah, this is, this is a tough season. This is, you know, I remember when my kids were young and they didn't sleep or they were, you know, climbing out of bed or whatever it is, but you know, here are some things that we did to help it, or here are some things that we, we found helpful. I've, I've always really tried to, um, not focus on those things in a negative way, but kind of look for, Look for women and friends who will really just help to kind of lift lift me up in those moments as opposed to just the back and forth, like almost like competition of like who's, who's more tired more, or yeah, who's more tired, you know. And so if you know, if you ask my husband, he'll tell you like I'm the most optimistic, positive person he knows, and he's like the most pessimistic. Um, so I feel like uh, you know, obviously we all have our days and we all have our moments where, you know, it just feels like it's really hard and we're in those really low moments. But I think that it's really more important to find, find friends and find a tribe that is willing to come around you and feel, feel the hard feelings with you and walk in that messiness, but also work to not let you keep yourself in that messiness and in that low yeah. spot. I think that's so true. And like, I can say that I found a really great group of girls that we talk about mom stuff all day long in a group chat, but it's never, it's never in a complainy way. It's like, Hey, my kid is, um, 
constantly throwing food off the table. Has anybody come across that? Or like he's refused. He's like crying. He's scared to get in his bed. Like, and then one is sure enough, her son just had gone through that. And just the timing, because the kids are around the same age and to really just hear that they've overcome it, that there is a way out, that it's only going to be two weeks. It'll be fine soon, you know? And that is, I think, uh, so important when you're kind of navigating motherhood for the first time, like just to have somebody just a couple of months even ahead of you having lived that and come through to see the other side is like really important. <laughs> so good. Yes. What yes. did you say? Um, so something I wanted to talk to you about is limiting beliefs around motherhood. So I talked about this in a couple of past episodes, but limiting beliefs I think you know what they are, but they're, you know, essentially like a belief that you've kind of structured your life around thinking that it's the truth when it may not necessarily be the truth. And a lot of that can stem from seeing how your mom raised you. Like mom never took care of herself. Like she was always, you know, here for us nonstop. She never stepped out to go to the gym. She never went to get a massage. She never did anything for herself. And now I feel like if I do that, I feel guilty or selfish. So do you have any like that that we can maybe talk about? Yeah. So I think probably like my biggest one is, um, you know, these are, are my kids and so they're my responsibility and I can't ask for help. And I, you know, I think in general, I'm not, I'm not a great person at asking for help for any aspect of my life, but I, I feel like as, you know, as a mom, I've always done that where like I, I can take care of them myself. I can take care of everything. I can do it all. I'm not going to ask for help. Um, I, you know, I even struggle sometimes, like if there's something that I feel like I need my husband to do. Um, and I think that you know, maybe that's just a, a husband wife thing where I'm like, you should just know, you should mm -hmm. just know what needs to be done. I shouldn't have to ask yep. you. Um, but I feel like, I feel like that's probably one of my biggest ones is like, I, I can do it myself. I need to do it myself. And I, and I think part of it is also just like the vulnerability around that and not not wanting to seem like I don't have it all together. And I think that oftentimes um, that is something that, that moms do is they don't want anybody to see those cracks and that brokenness of, of you know, where they, they are, are experiencing a weakness or that where they need help. But, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not perfect at it, but I have... Um, I have gotten better and, and some of it is, is truly forced out of love of my husband. Um, you know, with like, with our um, fourth child, I, with my, our third child, we had an emergency C-section and it was miserable and it was awful and it was just terrifying. So we opted for, because the babies are only 15 months apart. So we opted for a scheduled C-section with the fourth baby. And so he had to, like, he had an emergency call. He had to go to work. And so he was like, I really want you to reach out to one of your friends and ask them to come over just so that you have somebody here in case you need something. Cause you know, you're not supposed to lift. You're not supposed to do all of these things. And I was like, I'm fine. I can do it myself. He's like, mm -hmm. Nikki, you need to. So I, you know, that was kind of like the, the vulnerability and like letting down the wall of like just admitting that I need help and that's okay. And, you know, and I think whenever you uh, let people in to realize, like, you do need that help, um, number one, if, if any of my friends had anything that they needed, I would be there in an instant. So, like, how crazy is it for me to think that my friends wouldn't also return that same favor for me? Because they absolutely would. And, you know, and I think that that's just something that as women, sometimes I, I, I obviously I can't speak for men because I'm not a man, but you know, mm -hmm. for women, I think that, you know, there is this, um, the sense of having to just present ourselves, um, at the top of our game all the time, um, you know, to prove that we are, are quote unquote worthy to prove that we have value and all of those things. Um, Whereas, you know, I think that there's, there's so much authenticity and so much um, just beauty in being vulnerable and asking for help. So I, it's something I'm working on, but I would say that's like my biggest is like just being willing to ask for help. Do you think that that stems from something that you saw growing up? So, I, I mean, my dad died when I was 14. Um 
And I, I think at that point in my life, I was very committed to never having to depend on anybody for anything because I didn't want to experience that level of pain ever again. So I think a lot of my life, the, the steps that I took to get the career I had, to get the salary I had, to get the title I had, were all in an attempt to always be able to take care of myself and to do it by myself. So I think, you know, out of fear and trauma, I I grew this belief that I had to do it by myself. And I think, um, you know, with, uh, you know, just a lot of growing in, in, in myself and who I am and in my marriage and, and, you know, in my, my church family and all of those things, um, you know, slowly tearing down that wall of, you know, you don't have to do it alone. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do it alone. Right. What what do they say? It takes a village. It takes a village to raise these kids. And, you know, and I'm so grateful that I have such strong role models for myself and such strong role models for my children that if there is something that comes up that they're not comfortable talking to me or my husband about, that they can go to these other adults that are in our comfort zone, in our family, um, to, to lean on and to be supported by. Yeah. One of the things that I've found has been the most powerful in like becoming a mom has been just this increased responsibility to like really come to terms with a lot of those limiting beliefs that I carry because they're going to shape their limiting beliefs, you know? So if I feel like I can't ask for help, I'm like, do I want my kids to not be able to ask for help if they need it? No, I want to show them that they can ask for help if they need it. And right. And so the only way to show them is by doing it right. And being it like an example is, you know, I, I love my parents to death and they, they were incredible and they did everything they could for us. Um, but like they really, you know, I was like in high school, like drinking and stuff. And they were like, you know, you guys can't drink at that age, you know? And it was like, we were hiding it from them and stuff, but I saw my dad drinking like all the time Mm -hmm. growing up. And so he's saying, don't drink, but I'm seeing you drink. And so it's like, do as I say, but not as I do. Whereas for kids, I feel like it's, do as I do. That's the only message mm-hmm. that they're going to receive is like, just be it. And so that I felt this like increased responsibility to be, to do all of this personal work. And I feel like you're totally there too, where it's like, do you need to like kind of unpeel all that ugly stuff and all those limiting beliefs? Because they're reflecting exactly who you are and they're going to become that version that you are. Mm-hmm. And so you have to show up as the best version of you and to like, kind of face those limiting beliefs head on if you want them to succeed, you know? Right, and so right, that one is such a good one. Were there any other ones that you feel like you've come across? I, I, you know, I think that probably another one is that I often feel like it's my responsibility to make them happy. You know, it's my responsibility to plan all of the things and to do all of the things that need to happen so that they're happy. And I, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think obviously there, there's, you know, stages where like with the babies, like I am literally <laughs> in control of everything that they need. Every need is being met by, by, you know, us, the parents, but, you know, as, as they grow up and as they get older and, you know, I have the unique perspective of having a teen, a tween and toddlers. So I have a wide range of ages that we're parenting right now. And, you know, I, I think that as they start getting into school and they start, you know, having their own friendships and their own opinions and their own, you know, struggles and, and all of those things, that's something that, I, that like kind of has hit me a little bit of like, I it doesn't matter what I do, like I'm not responsible for, for their happiness or I'm not responsible for, you know, obviously, as you were just saying, like I want to parent them and teach them by, you know, looking at, at, at me as an example, looking at my husband as an example, but ultimately it's their decisions and, um, you know, their choices that they make that, that really are out of my control because they're, they're their own people. So that's one that like I've had in the past, but I think I've gotten, you know, better with that one. You know, I still, I think there's still like, 
you know, this is the second summer I've ever had where I've not worked, you know, because I worked for, you know, since the time I was 15 years old, I had a job. So, you know, with, with the kids, like we do a summer list of a hundred. So, you know, feeling like we have to pack all of those fun things in, in the summer um, to make sure that they're having a good time. So I think there's still probably some of that, like, sense of responsibility for making sure that they enjoy themselves. And I think I, um, I've always kind of been big on giving them experiences and memories and giving them just a wide variety of, of different things. And so like, you know, how a lot of families have like, this is our tradition for vacation. We've never had that. So we always do something different every year, something we've never done before. Sometimes it's something super, you know, silly, you know, sometimes it's just, we're going to a different state that we've never been in or whatever. So we don't have like a tradition of the same, same place, same, you know, beach, whatever we, so we try to do different things. And I think that probably some of that stems from me feeling like I'm responsible for their happiness. And, you know, with my bigger kids, you know, I mentioned earlier, like I was a single mom for, you know, 10 years of their lives. So, you know, I always felt like I was making up for both the mom and the dad in, in their lives and in their, you know, younger years and things like that. And so I think probably some of that belief also stems from just the fact that I felt like I was pulling double duty being the mom and the dad. Do you feel like, or have you talked to your daughters, the older ones about that time when you were a single mom and them being raised, seeing you do it all? Have you seen that impact them now that they're kind of growing in their little personalities? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I feel like, I feel like there are, there are some things that we pass down to our children that we don't even realize until it's like too late. So I'm like really bad with showing my emotions um, outwardly. And that's something, again, that stems from losing my dad at such a young age. And that you don't just, show them or you overly show them? I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So that's like my defense mechanism is just shut down. Nothing is there. I don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I realized like with my older daughter or my oldest daughter that she has kind of developed that same sort of pattern of like, I have no emotions. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to do all these things um, and, and kind of save them until she's by herself. So, you know, I feel like, I feel like we haven't, we haven't explicitly had conversations we've with both of them. Our oldest daughter, we've talked, we've talked just some things like knowing how it feels with, you know, her relationship with her dad and things like that and how it, you know, it, it, it may not be the best feelings that she has towards that relationship. But knowing that right now, my, hus- my husband, her stepdad, and I love her more than she can even possibly fathom. And that, you know, someday she's going to realize and understand, um, you know, the bits and pieces that don't make sense right now, the things that I, you know, I'm still not sharing with her about, you know, our, our time as, as just as the three of us and, and things like that. Um, you know, I think that as an example of a strong, independent woman, they've seen that from, you know, a very, very young age. And, you know, whenever I was like in the position where I thought I wanted to leave healthcare and I wasn't sure, I had someone say to me, like, just imagine like the example you're being for your kids, like you're the strong, independent woman, you're this and you're that and you're all of these things. And I was like, as she was talking, I was like, but they already know that because I've done mm. that for so long. That's no longer the example I want to be for my kids. The example I want to be for them is a present mom and, um, you know, someone who loves Jesus and someone who loves them so much that the time with them is more important than any, any amount of money. And I think whenever I really looked at that, going back to that, like the earlier conversation, like when I really looked at that, it made me realize like, this is a no brainer. This is a no brainer. I don't even have to think about it anymore. The fear and all of the things that were surrounding leaving the security of a job to stay home kind of dissipated because I knew it was the right step. I have like full body chills. Um, that is so beautiful. And man, I, I think it will really validate some of the moms out there who are staying at home 
who stepped into motherhood as opposed to stepping back from their careers or took a lateral step or a pause or however you talk about it, just to realize what what an important job they have. I mean, mm-hmm. the the limiting beliefs and all that stuff, that is now my nanny is responsible for that 70% of the day. You know what I mean? So, you know, the, the ones, if you're at work, the teacher or whoever, those people are all putting those beliefs and those, they're shaping your children, but you have that power to do that at home a hundred percent of the time. And that is mm-hmm. the biggest job and the biggest blessing, you know, when you look at it that way. And so, it's so incredible. And you sound like you're just the most incredible mom and your kids are amazing. Something that you touched on that I just want to circle back to before we wrap up is just this concept of like, they're responsible for their own happiness. They're their own person at the end of the day. They are not going to be in your care forever. So why, I mean, although yes, absolutely. You need to soak up these 18 years or however long they're at home. Although I want my kids to like live in the basement until they're like 30. I'm like that mom. But I also like don't, but like I do, you know. Um, But why is it so important to also make sure that you're good with you and not just putting your whole identity in being a mom? Well, I I mean, I think you just, you you essentially just said it, you know, there's going to be a time where they're going to leave. They're going to, you know, they're going to create their own lives together and they're going to or not together, but they're going to create their own lives and that's going to be outside of our home. And I think that, I think it's easy for, for women to lose themselves in motherhood, to lose themselves in that identity. Um, but I think that, you know, when, when you look at the big picture, when you, you know, you, you, you zoom back and you look at those years that they're here, if you've completely lost yourself in their identity, number one, it's super unhealthy. It's super unhealthy to be like codependent and and try to like live through your children. That's really just an unhealthy place to be. Number one, and I think the other thing is whenever you take that 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 you know overhead view of of what that life looks like, I think that. Um, when you are caring so much for them and you're not caring for yourself, you're 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 not going to be able to care for them at at that top level at that hundred percent because you know there's so much so much value in caring for yourself first. And I think again that's something that a lot of moms put to the side or you know they don't put value in because they do feel like their sole responsibility is those children. And you know, at the end of the day, keeping, keeping those little, those little human beings alive is your responsibility, is your biggest responsibility. But from an emotional perspective and a perspective of helping them grow and develop and, and have the energy for them, you have to take care of yourself. You have to put value in those things that, that feed you, that fuel you. And and ultimately that starts first, you know, if you're, if you're married, now obviously not all parents are, are married and not all parents, you know, like I said, I was a single mom for a long time, but you know, if you're in a home that has a husband and a wife, like your biggest responsibility outside of making sure that you're okay and you're taking care of yourself is your marriage. Because mm-hmm. when, when those children leave, that's who's going to be there is your husband. So you know, I think that that's the other really key piece in this is making sure that you're not just focusing all of your time and energy on your children, but also making sure that you're still prioritizing your marriage because number one, it sets a good example for your children and for them to grow up wanting to be in a healthy relationship and a healthy marriage. But then it also shows them that, you know, you can have both. You can be a mom and a wife and a friend and a sister and a, you know, whatever. And, and like I said, then once they leave, like that's all you have left is your husband. So, you know, I just think that there, there's so much value in that. And oftentimes we lose it. And so it's very intentional, making very intentional action steps to 
prioritize yourself and your husband and, um, you know, knowing that, you know, you're still keeping your, your human, your human beings alive. Um, but, uh, you have an identity outside of them. Yes. And I will say that I, it fell to the back burner when you've got really little ones, you know what I mean? Like the priority is not to like have sexy date nights. It's like the kids are down. I need to go to sleep, you know? And, but that as they get older and you, and as you get out of the trenches, it's so important, like you said, to prioritize that relationship again. I remember going through pre-Cana before we, Todd and I got married, um, where the priest said, and I was, I hadn't been, I wasn't a mom yet, but he said something like the number one relationship is obviously you with God, but then second is with your husband, not your children, not your parents, not your siblings, with your husband, because that is like the bedrock of the home. And then from there, the little branches come out. And if that's not strong, nothing's strong, right? And so, and like you said, having them see what a healthy relationship looks like sets them up for that success in the future. And something that I saw growing up was a lot of arguing and not making up. And I caught my husband and I in that same kind of pattern the other day where we would tiff behind the kids back about like, you know, stupid stuff. And then they would see some of it, although we don't think they're absorbing it, they are. And then we wouldn't make up, we would make up later in bed, you know, five hours, not like in bed, you know know what I'm saying? But like (laughs) washing our faces. Okay. Sorry. I said that. I didn't mean to snap at you, but we wouldn't, they'd be out of the room. They'd be asleep by then. So they wouldn't see us making up. They would just see the argument and then it's over. And that I had struggles with, I didn't, I had like, I didn't know how to deal with confrontation for a long time because I saw that's how my parents fought, you know, and I don't want my kids to see that. Right. So now I'm like, so, so like, I, I'm like, Todd, get back here. We need to make up in front of the kids. I need them to see us make up. Like, you know, let's talk it out. Let's kiss. Like, we're not going to put this to the side, you know, so just this aware parenting, I think is also like such a big thing that I'm kind of realizing is such a big responsibility when you've got these little tiny, tiny babies that are looking up to you. So Nikki, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I feel like we could talk motherhood and just (laughs) parenting and life and marriage for hours. And I think that many, many moms will really resonate with some of the things we've talked about today, whether they be working, um, working out of the home or in the home full time. We, I think each has so much respect for the other, right? It, it is, yeah. it has its own set of challenges, um, its own perks, its own cons. Um, but we're just trying to do the best we can for our families. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. So, but I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. Um, if the listeners want to reach out to you, Nikki, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, I am at Nikki Sisersky. And obviously that that is a tongue twister of a name. Um, so maybe you can link that one because it's, it's a long one. Yeah. I'll always um, link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I, you know, I do have a website, which I hopefully will be starting my my blog on here very soon. And that's the NikkiProject.com. Awesome. And I'll link both of those in the show notes below. Thank you so much again. I've really appreciated this conversation. Yes. Thank you. It's been, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Confidence Council podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you click the follow button so that you're notified every time a new episode drops. If you want more content between episodes, check out the show's Instagram account and website, which will be linked in the show notes for you below. If you're walking away from today's episode feeling more confident or empowered in some way, please share it with a friend or share it on social media so that others can benefit from it too. Thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now.